Reconstructionist Radio presents The War Room, where we discuss tactics for strategic Christian living. Mighty Lord, extend your kingdom, be the truth with Welcome to the War Room. This is Bill Evans, your host. We've got Tim Yarborough. Uh, we've already had a spent a really great hour with uh, Mr. Yarborough, and he's consented to visit with us some more. And we're on a roll here. We're having a lot of fun, and we're fellowshipping together. And uh, we've just been talking about some upcoming events uh, there in Moulton, Alabama, this April with Matt Trujillo, who's a good dear brother and a warrior for the Lord. And uh, so we're going to pick this back up for those who listened to the first uh, episode with uh, Brother uh, Tim. We're going to we're going to pick it back up. Tim, welcome again to the War Room. Well, thank you, Brother Evans. Well, tell us what you've got going on down there. You got a real treat. I I I, uh, I, I, I accused you of being a nasty name. I called you a neo Confederate, and uh, and and you and I are both we're we're brothers from a different mother. Uh, on that note that um and and our good our good dear friend pastor weaver uh is in the process i think of putting together a uh, a, a uh, compilation book dealing with the biblical doctrine of separation and of course we know that, that separation in the civil magistrate sphere is sphere is known as secession i know that we're not going to bring everybody along with us but we we do believe that um we both believe that it's probably easier to give birth than to raise the dead, and uh, and we would love to see uh, God's people, or we'd love to see states like Alabama or Texas or Montana, uh, just tell the federal, the, the U.S. government. I don't call it federal, the U.S. government that, that that they don't, they cannot be a part of this evil union anymore, and they want to establish a Christian republic based on the Word of God, submitted to the Triune God of Scripture. Wouldn't that be a glorious thing? Oh, absolutely, and uh, and I do personally see that as the future for uh, many, many of the states across uh, this country as it exists. It, it, it's it's a survival mechanism. Well, and you know, and again, we it's the the, the uh, motivation. Uh, I think you'd agree, uh, brother Tim, is that the motivation is not out of some pietistic sort of motive. We it's not that we want to retreat or we want to separate for the purpose of not getting our hands dirty. We want to retreat to a high, to high ground. We want to retool, re-equip and then re-engage the enemy until we can, you know, it's 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 the idea of offensive. Uh, an offensive or a strategic pulling back away from the mess we're in to get our bearings, retool, man back up, and then re-engage the enemy until the whole world is taken for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, absolutely. You, you, uh, I often have had a conversation with people uh, about the idea of the preserving of the Union. And if you just stop and think about the idea of preserving a Union with a sword, and I, I couldn't tell you how many times I've asked people, okay, let's, let's say that you're right, that the preservation of the union with a sword was a proper principle. 
Now let's apply that to a marriage. Let's apply that to business relationships. I mean, if the principle is universal, it ought to work and all that. Can you imagine what that marriage would be like? Well, and absolutely, people need to realize too, of course, and they they can that there's there's examples are replete in Scripture of biblical separation: a man leaving his mother and father and cleaving to his wife. That's biblical separation. A family uh, removing themselves from an apostate church. That's biblical separation. Us sanctifying ourselves uh, for service to the Lord, setting ourselves apart and separating from evil. You know, breaking with our own life. That's biblical separation. A woman fleeing an abusive husband in a lawful divorce—that is biblical separation. And when, uh, and, and and as Pastor Weaver, our good friend, uh, noted from you know when the Northern Kingdom withdrew from Rehoboam uh, in his tyranny, uh, the son of Solomon—that was a—that was a separation. And God honored that separation by offering to make a covenant with him. Yes. And so. Uh, and I believe that is certainly the prescription that our founders gave us was uh, uh, when the covenant is broken. And that's why I try not to ever use the word federal government because the word federal refers to covenanted. And certainly this government has broken covenant with us long ago. Uh, Tim, why don't you, uh, we were, when we, uh, you were talking about, um, we were talking about Matt Trujillo's upcoming visit. Uh, to Moulton. Uh, is that going to be an all-church evolution with all the various different fellowships involved? Or is that well, going to be actually, Trinity? Uh, it's April 23rd, and it's at Church of the Living God on Highway 157 in Moulton. Uh, Brother Jim Nelson is the pastor there. Uh, we've done advertising throughout uh, the county to all the churches, uh, counties next to us, uh, congregations throughout the state. Uh, Judge Moore, uh, due to a, a scheduling conflict, uh, was not able to come. But all the pastors uh, throughout the area have been contacted, visited, our state representatives, our county commissioners, our mayors, our city councils, all of them. And we have invited them to come and to hear the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. Uh, we will be visiting with them uh, personally, uh, to give uh, not only mailed invitations, but personal invitations uh, beginning the first part of next week. And some that we, we already have uh, phone calls because we want them to hear this because it's going to come up over and over and over again because uh, one of the things that we have been doing in our area uh, is uh, where we have had uh, magistrates, lower magistrates that have refused to stand up to unlawful uh, court decisions and particularly the Supreme Court we have been visiting them and most of them in our area are professing Christians of one kind or another and uh, we have been visiting them and taking them a copy of Matt's book, The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate and in the course of visiting with them, what we have done is to tell them that we are aware that they may not be familiar with this doctrine, so we want to give them a copy of his book and a copy of the Magdusburg Confession, and we, we gave that to them. But we also told them we want you to understand that as fellow believers, our visit here is just not educational. We are here to tell you that we believe your conduct 
sinful. And we want you to undertake, understand that we are beginning a Matthew 18 process with you. And that if you insist on maintaining your conduct of protecting evil, that we intend to file formal charges with your congregation, your, the leadership of your church. Well, uh, to say that that has had some uh, reaction in our areas, it would be a little bit of an understatement. Uh, because uh, you've had some that, uh, you know, say, well, personally, I'm, a, I'm against this, but it's my job. And, of course, that allows you to, uh, you know, go into the scriptures, and you want them to have to defend that in a church court. And we're at the place now where uh, we have some charges that are being laid uh, before some churches, we've already had one uh, congregation that says, well, we don't want to get involved in it. And so we said, well, you know, it's not optional for you. Uh, you know, you're a congregation. Matthew 18 <laughs> does not say if they're a part of your denomination or part of your body. It says if it's a professing brother. This man professes to be a brother. You profess to be a brother in Christ. If you refuse as leadership in this church to do your duty under Matthew 18, then we want you to understand we're going to file charges against you. Now, Brother Tim, you know you ain't supposed to stand on that Bible. <laughs> well, the thing is this, is that what our goal is, is the honor of God. And we want them to understand that our hope is reconciliation to what God instructs us to do and that that becomes normative in our area that people immediately no matter what the issue is think this question what does god require us to think about that oh yeah that's yeah that's, and so with that uh it it's opened up a, a whole can of worms of discussing the role of civil government which is a just a a wonderfully welcomed topic that has been uh, for so many years, at least a couple hundred years in our country, has been dominated by a Unitarian and a humanist philosophy mm -hmm. of civil government. No question. Well, you know, it's a, it. You know, wouldn't it be grand? Where the, the the fear of God could literally be felt in a in a in a, in a locale. Uh, you know, they said that uh, in. That after the ministry of after John Knox went on to be with the Lord, there wasn't a murder in Scotland for a hundred years. That, that the fear of God was just palpable; yes. it was measurable on the people. And uh, and, and, and church discipline, you know, <clears throat> that is that that's pretty rare these days. Sadly, even among Reformed congregations and denominations, it's 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 the exception rather than the rule. Yeah, and, and too often what you discover is a tendency to want the reputation, whatever that may be, of the church rather than the honor of God. Hmm. But, uh, you know, throughout the area, uh, as, as we have gone along, the Lord has raised up more and more uh, young people um Truth Conference each year. It has uh, even come from Canada down to the conference and uh, from Texas, from California, from all over the places. 
Uh, we last year we had uh, Dr. George Grant was there. Uh, Brother Weaver preached for us. We had some local ministers, and uh, the Lord has used that as a launching pad. And and our young men, uh, uh, they are the ones that lead that. And and the thing that you discover, uh, if you if you think about the power of a purposeful vision and you you see this among young people We're, we are getting to witness this a lot because there are so many of them that have a vision for the glory of God for the kingdom of Christ for the law of God and the Lord fills them with purpose and uh, we've all experienced this to a certain degree but when a man has focused purpose the thing that he does, he so, he so pursues that purpose with such passion and vigor that oftentimes things that would otherwise be temptations, he pays no attention to whatsoever. Oh, brother, I can I can so I can so identify with that uh, as a as a sixty one year old man myself. I can tell you that uh, that a, a, a victorious eschatology. I'll just say post-millennialism did more for my uh, sanctification than um, anything else I can recall. When you get a vision for for the for the the kingdom and and Christ's glory, and you're on a mission, uh, you don't have time for sin. You, Precisely, and. Uh... If you, one of the things that happens to people in what we call the church world is they, they become their own worst parasites. And instead of having a vision for the kingdom, they have a vision for their own self-well-being, which is so destructive. And if with our young people, we, we encourage, uh, I have a process that I do, and I encourage others to do it. Uh, I keep three by five cards with the names of uh, young men and women. And as they start their families, uh, their children and, and keep that card and, I, and, and praying for them and others in our area have taken up this, this uh, habit. But the thing that we do is we pray Psalms 144, 12 for these children that our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth. We're looking for mature sons. Now, what would happen if in every home a father would take his his son's uh, chin and look him in the eye and pray for him and say, Son, my prayer for you is that you will be mature, that you will be responsible, that you will be a man of integrity, that you will be a man of honor, that you will be trustworthy. And you are able to plant, by God's grace, a vision of the kind of man God wants in that child while he's young. And that child knows that's what dad wants for him because he prays with him for that all the time. And our daughters, that they may be as cornerstones polished after the similitude of a palace, rather than letting them wander in uh, confusion, give them a vision, a purpose, and pray for them with them that the Lord would make them the women of integrity, women of honor, uh, and then tell them what those words mean. Uh, you know, it's like uh, there was a, a, a gentleman, 
and I was so thankful for his call that uh, I had communication with him on uh, the internet, and uh, I I offered to to talk with him, and he called me, and uh, such a delightful uh, young man, and uh, you could tell that he had a great love for Christ, and uh, he wanted to be effective in his life, and uh, and so I asked him this question. Uh, we had been talking for a little bit, and I, and I said, well, if you don't mind, let me ask you this question, because I ask this question a lot of, of people. Do you want to be a successful person? And he said, well, yeah. And I said, okay, great. Define that for me. And what he discovered was is that he didn't really know how to define that term. And so I, I said this question uh, to him. I said, uh, you know, do you mind if I ask another question? And I couldn't tell you how many times I've had this conversation. And he says, no, you know, and, and I prefaced it. I'm not trying to be offensive. I want to help you to clarify a vision because if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. And so let me share with you my definition that I use for a successful person. Then I'll tell you where I got it from if you don't figure it out. A successful person is one who, by God's grace and mercy, is continuously maturing in his thoughts, his conversation, and his deeds to practice the revealed will of God and proving it according to his word. That is what we describe as a successful person. Well, you know, when, he, when we got done with that, uh, then we go through a series of things that, you know, what would you say integrity is? What would you say honor is? And if you don't know what those things are, how do you know what to reach for? How do you know how to define that in your life? Or when you sit down with your wife or your children and you say to your wife, I want to be to you a man of honor, a man of integrity. I want you to see that in my life. I want you to, to, to see me as a trustworthy man. What does that mean in practice? And when you can define that and clarify it, it just alters your life. It will alter their life. It will alter the lives of your children. And when they have a vision of being young men and young women of integrity and honor, it is incredible what God will do with those young people. And uh, we have been blessed. Uh, I am so blessed to see these young men and women coming up and God has given them talents and gifts, but it is that vision that drives them. And uh, so it's a, it's a tremendous encouragement uh, to these children and young people to encourage them to be filled with a vision for Christ. Uh, and part of that is the, you know, looking for opportunities that they can express leadership help them to define those things and uh, and then to engage it uh, and let them let them try and uh, you know the scripture says that a righteous man falls seven times yet will he rise again they're never going to get the strength that comes from rising again if they don't fall what kind of businesses Tim if you don't mind me uh, asking uh, you don't have to obviously name them off but if you could kind of discuss sort of the, the range of types of business that you're involved in and how you go about uh, using these uh, enterprises to um, enable 
young Christian families to leapfrog out of the system, so to speak? Well, my core business uh, developed out of my electrical uh, background. Uh, when I was five years old, uh, that's when I knew what I was going to be for life in terms of my work, my labor. Uh, I was at my grandmother and grandfather's house, and I had gotten one of my, one of my grandmother's pins, little uh, sewing pins, you know, where you stick stuff together. <laughs> and I discovered that if you put that pin into an outlet, it would shock you. And uh, it hit me, and I was so intrigued by it, I did it again. <laughs> and so from that day forward, I knew... I was going to find out what made that happen, and the Lord used that incident to uh, start me into the electrical business. And uh, so one of the things, got me, having gotten into the electrical business, uh, and I was a student of it, I realized it didn't take me long being in the trade uh, that many uh, individuals get involved in it, but they don't become students of it. And so I became a student of it, and I moved into high voltage. Uh, I did nuke plants, uh, did uh, power quality analyzation, and that became kind of one of my core activities. And uh, so out of that, we developed uh, installation crews. We developed uh, lighting crews. Uh, we uh, then branched out from that into chiller modification and retrofits. And uh, that led to, uh, I grew up building homes with my dad, and we worked on a farm. So we wanted, uh, this was several years ago when my children were young, we wanted to develop a mechanism for building homes debt-free. And uh, so the Lord helped us, and a number of families, we came together, through, really through the homeschooling community. And uh, what happened was is that we were able to put together a mechanism and we built 17 homes debt-free in our area uh, working with families. So we got into the construction business. Uh, then we got into the junk business uh, because we, we, there were things that we discovered about that in uh, people that had uh, an aptitude uh, and, and could make some good money doing that, training people how to uh, find uh uh, as it were, good junk. Uh, we got into the glass business, uh, selling. Uh, we we did uh, computer sales. Uh, we had a uh, manufacturing uh, company where we manufactured uh, power quality devices for a number of years. And uh, then uh, we launched into some... Uh, uh, compost farming and that's one of our, our ventures now that uh, we're hoping to really see that mature over the next three to five years into a large-scale operation because we believe that with what has happened to our food you know in Deuteronomy 28 the Lord says there that in disobedience he will curse the fields and we see this uh, curse that has happened with our food, God using it to force people back to becoming more self-sufficient, and in that, uh, becoming better husbands uh, of the land and of their food and of their home with it. And so this is going to open up entrepreneurial opportunities. Uh, then uh, there is the furniture-making business uh, that... Uh, 
I, I was involved from the outside or involved in it some, but with uh, Brother Jim, that was his background. He's a bivocational pastor with uh, Brother Oliver and him down there starting up a uh, furniture company for associated with the Learning Center uh, so that, uh, you know, they can make a living. Uh, and now we're, uh, we're working on uh, some different programs now where we have clients that uh, we're making uh, specialty glasses for. Uh, it's, it's pretty diverse. <laughs> so uh, we, we get a lot of expertise from people. <laughs> Brother, Brother Tim, uh, is there a particular type of, a, let's say there's a family, and they're, and they're presently living in Georgia. Maybe the husband has got a job that he really is not enamored with. He's he's a mature man. He uh, really takes headship and uh, seriously. He may be ex-military, and, uh, <clears throat> and 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 he wants to be. He wants to work himself. He wants his family to be in a position <clears throat> where they have more flexibility. Uh, maybe to pursue homeschooling to not be uh, muzzled in the workplace as far as uh, his, his positions, his, his, his doctrines, his life, his, his testimony. And, and I know you have, uh, I have someone in mind and, and who's recently met with you. But, but if there's a family like this that happens to be uh, uh, listening to a, a, one of our War Room podcasts, what would your advice to them be and what per se because i know you have a goal uh you're on track you want to do 200 businesses in the next 20 years what are you looking for what is a cross-section what would they be like how would you describe that your typical or your 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 ideal candidate and what would you say to them and what would you have to offer them well first of all what I typically find among people, and, and I am a strong encourager of family-based businesses because I think that is the future. And I, I think Christians are going to have a very difficult time staying within corporate America because they're going to force their ethics on you. And so I see it as a gift from God forcing Christians out unless you're, you're willing to compromise uh, in your ethical beliefs. And, that's a good, and, that, and, and Tim, you're making a good point persecution is a good thing because it forces you to obey God. Yes. Well, uh, I, I, I often uh, am in boardrooms, and we saw this coming, I mean, the intensification of it coming uh, about eight years ago. Uh, and most people are unaware there's a book called The Last Ball written in 1989, which was the book that launched the uh, sodomite movement to convince people or to sell the idea to that community that they had to convince people that they were born that way. They have been extremely successful with that, but that was first launched from an advertising standpoint with that book in 1989. And of course it's, you see it all over the place now in terms of how it is uh, impacting things. And, uh, and Christians uh, who are in these positions 
uh, many of them are fearful of the consequences of standing up to it. So with people who are looking to get out of those things, uh, out of the corporate world and, and so forth, here's what I find is the first mistake. And, and what we try to encourage them from, and I try to encourage them from, is uh, they start with the what and the how. What am I going to do and how am I going to do it? And that's what they start with, and, and I share with them that that is the wrong beginning. Mm-hmm. Because what you need to know more than anything in the world, and that includes all of us, wherever God has called us, you need to know why you're doing it. Amen. And if you know why, when the tough times come, and they will if God is gracious to us, that why will cause you to thrive and survive. And once you have clearly identified the why, and you understand what is going to be your motivation, then you begin to look at the what, and then the how. And the what is where you start to measure your skills, or you start to measure where you can train your skills. And that will lead you to... Uh, the house, how do you implement this? Uh, you know, and so uh, that's going to depend on a number of variables, uh, what their background is, what kind of skills they have. Uh, you can do market assessments in the local area. And, of course, now with the Internet, it doesn't necessarily have to be local, but we've had uh, a gentleman uh, that recently, it took him four years, nearly five, that moved from uh, a corporate environment uh, and develop, he developed some skills over that time. And uh, he is now working from home. Uh, that uh, very similarly situated to uh, our, our friend in Georgia. Uh, but in, our, in the, the local area, the development of different skills has just been pretty diverse. So, big thing is is to sit down and talk with people who have been there and done that and uh, help get get some help get some you know don't be rash with it uh, it may be necessary to get some training or enhancement of skills uh, you will need to be prepared you know from a lifestyle standpoint uh, but if you know why you want to do it you'll figure the rest of it out Tim, do you want to receive solicitations from families who are looking to uh, establish a family-based business? They Maybe they have a uh, veteran, maybe they have a, a, a trade, a college degree, whatever, but uh, they are stuck in a corporate rut. They have these anxieties that you mentioned. Do you, are, you, are you soliciting uh, inquiries from people like that? Well, uh on a limited basis, uh, and the reason being, and, I, and I'm happy to to sit and talk with folks, but, you know, this is the kind of stuff, Brother Evans, that needs to be done sitting across the table so that what you have is real and, you know, and, and you're dealing with real people. No, they real. need to come to Moulton. They need to spend time with you, and they need to know what you guys are about, what you're doing, what your objectives are. Well, 
it's the only way that you can really measure, uh, you know, the face of man answers to face, the scripture teaches us. And uh, even though there are things that you can do over the phone, there's nothing like watching things in action. And uh, so, you know, that, with from that standpoint, we're very willing to help. And it's not just me. There are others, too, that that are willing to uh, to help, that are very talented, more talented than I am, for sure. And uh, But I think that it's a very positive sign that there is such a growing desire uh, for people who want to uh, start their own businesses within the Christian community. Yeah, there's there's certainly no fellowship app on your smartphone, and there's no replacement for looking eyeball to eyeball with a brother. There's no question about that. Uh, Let me ask you this question, Tim. This is a pregnant question. You know, uh, I presume you being a realist and being a say a biblical realist, um, we don't assume that tomorrow is going to be like today. We know that this nation is under judgment. God may sovereignly choose to pour out his spirit and we may see yet a reprieve revival but we know that the land has been defiled by blood and and sin and 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 if and unless god changes which we know he doesn't do um, some at some point judgment is on our calendar that being said and we know that uh, as kingdom driven christ-centered covenant-keeping people if God, by his providence, enables us, allows us to survive whatever whatever lies ahead of us, we don't know what it is. could be a lot of things. If we survive it, we know that we have to be in, we have to be intent and prepared and equipped to build again upon the ashes and to do it better the next time by that meaning being self-consciously Trinitarian, covenantal, theonomic, post-millennial. Christ-centered, kingdom-driven. Okay. Um, what sorts of steps, practically speaking, as a, as a person who I know from just knowing a little bit about you, that you're suspicious, and rightfully so, of the, sta- of the system that is in place? You believe it's... I, I, I don't believe I'd be putting words in your mouth to say that our economic system is based on a house of cards. Nothing of value in it. The, our house, this house of cards, is going to fall perhaps at some point. Let's say it does. Let's say, and what are the sorts of steps that you would recommend Christians and specifically congregations? And have you, in fact, I would presume you have because you're a smart guy. What sort of preparations have you made, or do you encourage elders of their church and leaders of households to make to prepare? their family, for possible difficult times, whether it be persecution from the from the world or whether it be the uh, the outpouring of the judgment of God upon a nation. What, what do you suggest churches and families begin to do, and how do you think they should begin to order their lives and make preparation? Well, that's a great question, uh, and yes, we have done things. We, we've held seminars for our, our local congregations, and others that were interested on the subject of how does a Christian handle judgment crisis? 
And the, the goal of it was to look through the scriptures and to see how God has dealt historically with judgment. What we should anticipate based upon God's covenant faithfulness in terms of judgment and therefore what we should be doing in terms of preparing to lead on the other side of what we call the Valley of Anchor. And in Anchor, the Valley of Anchor, there's a door of hope. And what we want to focus on is that door of hope. If God is going to judge the world and our nation in particular where we live and we know that he is and it's not that he's going to judge he is judging uh we i mean we could just go through deuteronomy 28 and just see it all over the place so the question then is is that in the judgment uh, we are to be a faithfully repentant people because the scriptures teach us that uh, you know if there were 10 righteous people in sodom God would have spared Sodom. Uh, if, uh, you know, Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. So what we're dealing with for the great part here is the apostasy of those who profess to be the people of God. So what we, we have encouraged to do, number one, is building community. Uh, among our different uh, people, our fellowships, our families. But then secondly, we have went out and uh, like in talking to our different representatives and different pastors and different business operations, and we have shared with them uh, that we should expect the great default, that it is going to happen. The history of it is a certain as God's creation and it is going to occur so as Christians what we ought to be looking for in our view is to build oases in a desert and oases that have a door of hope that can look beyond when God cleans the slate and prepared to lead and to build, to offer ideas. And we we go and we visit with our, our present leaders on that point, that this is coming. Now, in our state, it's a great problem, uh, Brother Evans, because what has happened in our state, we're one of 11 states, that it is a testimony against us that we have more people who draw checks from the government than work in private enterprise. So what we have is a spirit of dependency. And when you are fighting a spirit of dependency, and when we say the spirit of dependency, what we mean is there are two ways for human beings to exist. One is by their own exertion, and one is by living off the exertion of others. A spirit of dependency is when you live off the exertion of others and it's done so by the collaboration of law and not by the standards of God's word. For instance, parents could live off their children, but in a voluntary environment. Well, that being the case, the great problem that you're going to have is when the default happens, that dependency 
is going to be, the mechanism is going to be destroyed. And I used to think when I read Frederick Bastiat's The Law, Bastiat wrote that, and when in terms speaking of the spirit of dependency, that neither religion nor morality can do much against it. And I used to think he was wrong in my younger years. I've come to realize that Mr. Bastiat was much wiser than my early years would grant to him. Because you can go out to the churches, to professing Christians, and the spirit of coveting and envy to live off the productive labor of others dominates. And it is a very serious issue. So with that, we have to be willing to understand that somebody has to be responsible, somebody has to be mature, somebody has to be aware that God doesn't just judge to kill off things. He judges to open up doors of hope. And when he does that, that it must be a mature Christian people who see the wisdom of God's law prepared to step in there and to lead through that. And so uh, I'm not an isolationist. I, I, you know, I, I am of the opinion uh, that for the most part, if you think about how that the weapons of mass destruction have been congregated and consolidated into the hands of state governments over the last hundred years, it is incredible the, the uh, you know, an idea that might have worked 100 or 150 years ago is no longer viable. They don't even need guns or soldiers to eliminate opposition. They just send drones. So God has orchestrated this in its own way where we're forced to win the war of ideas. Well, you know, uh, Tim, they don't even need to bring drones. They just need to take the grid down for about 72 hours and the masses of sheep in the street begging for government cheese would be enough to secure their ultimate uh, supremacy over the people. But we're talking, around, we're talking, you know, dangerous stuff. Now we're treading on thin ice. Um, uh, where was I going? I was thinking about um, what does this mean? What does it mean churches need to do? Uh, uh, and they need to start planning and thinking about what they're going to do because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. Sure. Uh, and, and, uh, whether that means a doctrine, a, a, a standard operating procedure for, uh, I, I recently visited a group of uh, a family up in Yakima Valley, Washington, up in uh, eastern Washington, and they were happy to, to, to talk to me about the fact that they're, they had a consortium or confederation, I like that word, confederate, um, group of churches had had recently entered into a um a correspondence a committees of correspondence they be, they wanted to begin to hammer out doctrines and uh plans of how to respond to catastrophe in the event that uh calamity struck whether that be in the form of a uh mount rainier uh volcano eruption or whether it be a visit by D- dhs and and U.S. Marshals, they wanted to have plans in place of knowing this is who we call, this is what we do, step by step, so there's no mistake. And and I can't help but think that that's important. 
at this stage of the uh, of things. Well, it is, and uh, and I'll I'll tell you there are across this country, not just this country, but other countries, where the Lord is raising up people who He is gifting to think through these ideas, and uh, and to reach out and to tap those and and to make them you know applicable to where you are. Uh, it because that's going to vary from community to community. Uh, and the framework will need to be a little different, but uh, the primary thing is, at least as we see it, is that you are preparing to be that vision of hope because despair is going to run, and it already is. I mean, it's going to run rampant across the cultural melees. But if you also, not just among uh, you, but get out in the community and prepare the community and talk with people and tell them, you know, have conversations with them, coffee, invite them to your home, take them out for a meal, have these conversations so that as these things escalate, what they do is give you greater credibility, number one, but it also helps people have a sense of uh, awareness and that's important. Tim, back, going back to something we talked about very early in your first interview, our first episode, about building relationships and, and, and spheres of influence. And, uh, you know, there is a, um, I, I see in some of the notes that you had mentioned that you have used uh, the, the book by Lawrence Reed, Are We Good Enough for Liberty? And I know that there is a, we, we want to talk about points of commonality, points where we can relate to our neighbors. And there is a suspicion, I think it's growing, it's, it's probably more heightened awareness than ever before, that <clears throat> things are amiss, things are messed up. Whether they, whether they point the, the, uh, the explanation for the problem where it belongs, obviously, and, and the first the first impulse is to say, "Well, it's the government's fault." No, we have the government; we deserve the problem is our fault. Uh, but the point, but the point being is, is liberty and the desire to be left alone, the desire to be free to pursue our own aspirations, the fr- free for our children to be able to grow up and uh, to realize their their full potential. That is a common thread. That is a point of reference that we have with almost all people, unless unless they're just asleep at the wheel. Uh, what is that book about? How have you used it? And the question is, is how can we begin to uh, capitalize upon the common uh, the commonality that we have is with almost all people that we want to live. We don't want to be. Uh, suppressed. We don't want to have a boot on our neck for the rest of our life. And <clears throat> we want to be free to pursue not just religious freedom. We want to be pursue, We want to be free to pursue uh, obedience to Christ under the law of God. But speak to that book, if you would, that Henry Hazlitt, uh, excuse not Henry Hazlitt, but, but Lawrence Reed. I'm not familiar with that book. Are we good enough for freedom or for liberty? How do you use it, and how do we reach out and build a um, uh, consensus? How do we how do we capitalize upon this growing unrest and unease that things are not as they should be 
for the glory of Christ. Well, that book, uh, Lawrence Reed, uh, he is with uh, Foundation for Economic Education. Uh, he is the son of Leonard Reed. And um, that book deals with the fact that character is the foundation of liberty. And so it deals with the recovery of character. And it allows you, and so it's a small book. And uh, we have disseminated uh, several hundred of them in our community through uh, Chamber of Commerces, where we did speeches, uh, various professional organizations where we would have an opportunity to talk about uh, these issues uh, in a uh, you know in, in a short speech and, and provide these books and then of course it opens up conversations. We've given these books to our mayors, our judges, probation officers, sheriff, uh, county commissioners, uh, talking about uh, liberty. And then, of course, with that, uh, another book that we uh, use is Frederick Bastiat's The Law. They have a great little uh, uh, publication uh, of it now, a, a, a new printing of it, and Walter Williams did the introduction on it, and uh, which is just a tremendous uh, introduction and, and getting people interested in economics uh, is a uh, it's not very difficult to do to get them interested in economics now going further than that uh, you know like one of the things we've used in our community quite a bit uh, is uh, Dr. Gary North's website Deliverance from Debt uh, having people go through that and uh, talking about that and, and what, what it means so when you talk about these issues of character and debt-free living and these kind of, they, they resonate with people and uh, self-sufficiency, you know, self-responsibility. And uh, so there are just all kinds of doors with this and bridges that you can build uh, that allow you the opportunities to mature relationships and escalate them up to uh, other conversations in terms of the law of God and uh, so that you just you just have all these opportunities to be leavened in the community uh, Henry Hazlitt's little uh, book uh, Economics in One Lesson uh, for those that complete the uh, book uh are we good enough for liberty and the law? Then we follow up and uh, try to give them another book. And we've had, uh, we in our community, probably, I, I would estimate, uh, between five and 600 copies of the law out there. Uh, another uh, three to 400 copies of uh, Are We Good Enough for Liberty? And, and another 150 to 200 copies of uh, Henry Hazlitt's uh economics in one lesson so you have this this conversation that's going on on a continuously wider scale well tim so, i can i can tell you right now you've got a future with reconstructionist radio because as you know millennials don't read books that's passe for them and they like to listen to stuff on the on the go as they're doing their morning commute and i would suggest that if these uh these books are that helpful that perhaps we uh we ought to try to to uh to, to create audio versions of them, and that way we can hand out uh, 
CDs. Of course, I, I, I was speaking to a pastor today and asking him about taking his some of his um, essays and uh, creating audio versions of them. And he said, you know, he did not realize the importance of the ministry of Reconstructionist Radio until he began talking to a millennial in his congregation. It was a Ph.D., brilliant man who does not read books. He yes. If he gets sent a book or he buys a book, he buys it in Kindle form, and he has his he has an app on his smartphone. Read it to him while he's doing his commute. And so uh, maybe maybe that would be an opportunity for us to take these books by Bastiat and Reed and Hazlitt and uh, produce audio versions of them. That would make them easier to share and less expensive as well. Yeah, well, another uh, great one, and it's in. Uh uh, Lawrence reads uh, Are We Good Enough for Liberty is his father's little treatise which I think is just it, it is a classic he wrote it I think it was in 1958 called I Pencil and it is a fantastic treatise uh, that demonstrates Adam Smith's uh, The Invisible Hand and how that nobody in the world knows how to build a pencil and yet they get built. It is an incredibly wonderful essay, and it opens up conversations. And uh, one of the things that we've discovered, Brother Evans, is when we're doing using these books, and and like I say, people listen to books and so on and so forth, uh, is that you've got to be in a position where that information, that dialogue, can take on personal communication. Uh, because if you don't, what happens is is that it will die in the intellect in the majority of cases. There will be those cases where it will spring life, but life will generally be sprung and, and more effectively sprung when that person begins to teach you what they've learned because the teacher is the better student. Tim, I have so much enjoyed talking with you. And uh, brother, I love you. I just I, you're a, you're a, you're a man after my own heart. I mean, you're you're a doer of the word, not merely a hearer. We look forward to other visits, Lord willing, if this ministry continues, that we would hear more of your uh, wisdom from the trenches. We pray that God would continue to bear fruit in your life to the glory of the Father, and we thank you so much for visiting with us here on the war room well thank you and we solicit your prayers and uh may the lord be pleased to honor his name in uh, just great ways across our land amen thank you for joining us in the war room please enjoy the nation's rage psalm 2 by my soul among lions why do the nations rage Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete weekly lineup of seven distinct shows. You can subscribe now 
to your favorite shows on iTunes. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed on iTunes, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner financially with this ministry. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom. <laughs>